Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for allowing me to be with you today on this special day and this great opportunity to worship the Lord, and not only to worship the Lord together as a family of believers, a body of believers, a gathering of men and women trusting in the Lord, um, but a special day even for you as a church family to ordain two men to the office of elder. What a wonderful occasion. What a great and a weighty occasion that is. Uh, So that will be the topic of our study today as we look into God's Word. I want to invite you, please take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you, and you have it there in your bulletin, I'm going to preach today on the descriptions of an elder who serves God and serves God's flock. It's a fitting text, a fitting topic for us, all of us at all times, to be reminded of what God requires of those who serve him as leaders of the church, but in a particular way to look at that topic today as a church family. Let's pray and ask for God to help us. You are the most holy and loving and merciful God, O Lord the creator of the heavens and the earth. You have regenerated those whom you have elected, granted to us faith so that we might behold Christ and love him and worship him and serve him and obey him. We love to gather together with God's people, to sing, to read the scriptures, and to sit under the authority of your word that is preached. So, Lord, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come with great unction to every one of our hearts that we might behold the glory of our God, that we might understand what you require, and that we would be humbled as we gaze ultimately upon our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Richard Baxter was the 17th century English Puritan who labored for about 20 years in the city of Kidderminster. The city of Kidderminster. And when he was the pastor of this church whom he loved and he preached the word, he would say to them, do I need to turn to my Bible in order to show a preacher where it is written that a person's soul is worth more than the whole world. Worth more than the world. It's worth way more than gold or silver. How much more are many souls entrusted to your care worth? And all that we are and all that we have, he said, all of our energies should be employed to the utmost for the service of our Lord. And then Richard Baxter continued, I like these words. He said, man of God, you need to study hard because the well is deep and our brains are shallow. Study hard. And that's true. We need to be reminded of these important truths from the Bible and the office of elder and what God has designed in the leadership of the local church and what God requires for the men who have and hold the stewardship of the office of overseer. 
I, I think of Jeremiah chapter 3. This is really the desire of every believer, but it really comes from the Lord himself. Jeremiah 3.15, in a day with many false shepherds and false teachers, what does Jeremiah 3 say? Verse 15, God says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. Shepherds who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. Isn't that what you want? You want those shepherds provided by the Lord who seek the heart of God and they feed you on knowledge and they feed you on understanding of the Lord from his word. And so my goal today as a, as a, as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor, as a teacher of the word to you, I want to point out the biblical explanation of who leaders are and what leaders are to do as they serve Christ and then serve the people of God in the local church. We have to begin, I think, with this assumption. The Bible teaches so clearly, repeatedly, that the church of the Lord Jesus is to be cared for. It is to be guarded and led by qualified, humble men. The Bible teaches so clearly that women have many things that they can do in the body of Christ, but women are not to occupy the pastoral elder role. And God's design includes male headship in the church, and then as you well know and you've been well taught, male headship in the home as well in the marriage. And so this is God's plan. This is God's perfect design. It's good. It's beneficial. It is for the, the glory of God and for the good of his people and for the radiance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice here in this passage, I'm going to read it as we study it, but in verse 17, the Apostle Paul is here in Miletus, and he calls from this city for elders from the Ephesian church to come and to meet him. But notice in verse 17, call the elders, it's plural. You notice uh, toward the end of our passage in verse 28, Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, plural. So we need to remember that the plan of God for leadership in the church is not a singular man who calls the shots, but a plurality it is a plurality of gifted, humble, godly servants. And that's what we see right here in Acts chapter 20. This is a remarkable chapter tucked right here after Paul's missionary journeys. And he is about to go to Jerusalem, but he has one stop in Miletus. And he's going to call the elders of a nearby church from the church of Ephesus. And he's going to give them sort of a farewell discourse. Here's what you need to know regarding leadership. Here's what you need to know regarding biblical, godly leadership. This is a lesson for all of us. For, for men, this is important. For elders, this is important. We live in a world where there's all kinds of confusion about leadership. And so we need clarity from God's authoritative word. So we want to walk through this passage together. And if you're jotting down notes, what I want to do is give you five simple descriptions of an elder. Five very simple descriptions of an elder. And I just want to walk through this just kind of section by section so that you can see it in your own Bible. And really, I want you to know what a leader is to be. And I want you to be equipped so that you can pray and pray well and pray biblically for the elders that God has put over you here. 
And then certainly you can affirm those men whom God has put over you as elders here at Providence Presbyterian Church. So let's just kind of walk through this together. Let's begin with the first description in verses 17 to 19. What's the first description? He must be a humble servant of the Lord. It all begins there with being a humble servant of the Lord. So verse 17, now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, so here's Paul speaking to the elders. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. In these verses and in these words, we learn from the Apostle Paul that God's man who serves as a leader of the church must be a humble servant of the Lord. Spurgeon said, it is of utmost importance that you must be humble. Consciousness of your self-importance is a hateful delusion, but it's one into which we all naturally fall as weeds might grow on a dunghill, Spurgeon said. We cannot be used of the Lord while we dream of our own personal greatness. We think ourselves almost indispensable to the church, pillars of the cause, and we are foundations of the temple of God. No, Spurgeon said, we are nothings and we are nobodies. It's a good reminder. It's a good reminder for all of us. That with or without me, with or without you, with or without church leaders, the gospel and the plan and the church of the Lord Jesus will triumph. It will continue on. And so Paul is going to model for them and speak about humility in the service of the Lord. Now, let's see if we can clarify a little bit. Look at verse 18. Paul says to the elders, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. Let's just stop right there. What a great mark of leadership. That humble leadership means that the leader must be available. I was with you. I was among you. I lived life among the people of God, Paul is saying. A leader is not above the people. He's not sort of in his own place, not interacting with the people of God. Paul says, I was among you. I was with you. I interacted with you. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd lives with and knows the sheep. But not only was he available as a humble servant. Look at verse 19. I was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me. You know, I, I love that Paul says here in verse 19 that I was serving the Lord. You know, Paul uses the word of, of slave. I'm a slave of the Lord. Paul acknowledges that my duty in life as a servant of God, get this, is not to please people. A godly leader is to please the Lord. That is the foremost, the primary duty, the primary calling. He's not to be a people pleaser. He's not a CEO just to make people happy or lead people like in an organizational format. But he doesn't have his position to tickle the ears and scratch the itches of every person. No, like Paul, he says, I serve the Lord. I'm a slave of the Lord. Not what everybody wants. Not what culture is demanding, 
but I'm a slave of what God requires. That's so important for every man of God in ministry to make that resolution, I am a slave of the Lord. Well, Paul not only is available, not only is he a servant as a humble servant, but then at the end of verse 19, notice he says here, I'm serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. How does he serve the Lord with humility? You, you know this, and you've been taught this so well and so often, but humility is really the benchmark of any useful servant of the Lord. Humility is not entitlement. I have the right. I've got the claim to this office of leadership. No, humility is recognizing this is a mercy ministry from God. I don't deserve this. I, I, I don't deserve this at all. It's, it's a stewardship given to me by the Lord. Yeah, I think about humility and ministry, being a humble servant of the Lord. And I think of that, 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 uh, that statement by Jonathan Edwards regarding David Brainerd, where Edward said of Brainerd how sensible Brainerd was of his own insufficiency for the work and how great was Brainerd's dependence on God's sufficiency. That's what we need. We need men who we are weak and insufficient for the work, but we are fully dependent upon God. I believe nothing more emulates Christ than a servant leader. And that's what Paul is modeling, and that's where he begins as we describe leadership here in this section. Paul begins first, he must be, number one, a humble servant of the Lord, verses 17 to 19. But let me give you a second description. As Paul continues now in verses 20 and 21, not only a humble servant, but number two, he must be an intentional teacher of the gospel. He must be an intentional teacher of the gospel. Because in verse 20, Paul's going to describe his ministry. I did not shrink, verse 20, from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't shrink from teaching the truth. Church family, you've been well taught. You understand this. I love the way John Stott put it when he said, preaching is indispensable to Christianity. To be a Christian is to be someone who loves and who appreciates and who puts himself under the preaching of the word of God. Notice how Paul describes how he was an intentional teacher. Look at verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring. Now, that's an interesting word, shrink. The word is the idea of shy away. I didn't omit anything. I didn't lower the bar. People say your, your preaching's too hard. The doctrines are too rough. You demand too much of us, and Paul didn't shy away. He didn't shrink. He didn't lower the bar. He wasn't afraid of the tough doctrines. He wasn't afraid of preaching the doctrines that confront 
the proud heart. I didn't shrink, verse 20, from declaring to you anything that was profitable. What's that? Ultimately, it's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of grace. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. The duty of the man of God is to be a preacher of the word of God. Preaching is the heartbeat of the church. Preaching is the health of the church. And there's so much in a ministry, in a church, that can flow out of the gospel and out of healthy teaching. But really the heart and soul of a church that honors and worships Christ is to hear from him, from the word of God, and through the faithful expositing of the word of God. And Paul says here, I didn't shrink. I didn't shrink. And Ephesus was not a very friendly place toward the gospel. Ephesus was pagan. It was idolatrous. It was worldly. There was a riot. They're violent there. And Paul says people wanted it or they didn't want it. I don't shrink from preaching the gospel. Well, if a man is to be an intentional teacher of the gospel, Notice the end of verse 20 here. I didn't shrink from declaring anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house. And this is why being an elder requires that a man of God be able to teach. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 makes that qualification very clear. Another verse is Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. Every church elder must hold fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the sound teaching, so that he will be able to do two things, to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So every church leader has the obligation to be someone who knows the Bible, and he can communicate clearly the truth of the Bible. It it is God's book, the Bible, that must be the elder's continual manual of study. We can read all kinds of other books, but there's one book that the elder should master, and that is the book of the Lord's Holy Scripture in the Bible. And not only does he just teach the word, but in verse 20, Paul clarifies publicly and from house to house. And I love that, how there's the public teaching corporately, but, but even the individual private in the home discipleship, the, the shepherding, the love and care for God's people publicly and individually from house to house. The man is committed to the gospel The the, the teaching must include and bring forth the beauty of the gospel, verse 21, testifying to Jews and to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd feeds. So every elder must be faithful to proclaim the twofold obligation, and it's a gift of the Lord, repentance and faith. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be a a great way to pray. A great way to pray for your elders right here. Lord, keep these men faithful to the truth of the word of God. Keep them faithful to the truth of the gospel. 
Well, there's a third description, a third description here in verses 22 to 24 that I want to give you regarding an elder, regarding an overseer in the church. Number three, he must be a sacrificial minister of Christ, a sacrificial minister. This is good for all of us, for, for all of us as men, as we seek to lead in the home, even for young men that are here, this is true biblical leadership for all of us. But even here in the church as well, verses 22 to 24, he must be a sacrificial minister. Follow with me, 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what's going to happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He is to be a sacrificial minister of Christ. Christ is our example. He is our chief example. He's our champion, our guide, our model, our savior. I think of Matthew 20, 28. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the example ultimately seen and displayed in God. The Lord Jesus came to serve. One man wrote many years ago, listen to this, every pastor must pick up the cross and bleed. He must follow his Savior even if all the world stands and spits in his face. His eyes are on the lordship of the sovereign substitute. He will bleed, he will be beaten, he will be bruised, he will be bashed, and he will be brutalized for Jesus. But Jesus did all these things for him. This minister suffers with joy for Christ. That's the calling, that's the duty, that's the sacrifice. And notice how Paul models that. Look at verse 22. Paul said, now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit, and I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I love that. That's such a a precious verse because Paul says, I'm going to follow God even when I don't know what God is going to bring. I mean, we as men, we want to have control. We want to know what, what the future holds. We want to have a plan. We want to have an agenda. We want to stick to it. We want to be leaders. And Paul says, I don't know what God is going to bring. It's out of my control. Uncertainty awaits me. Difficulty is in front of me. I must trust in the Lord. That's living by faith. It's living by faith. It's living as a sacrificial minister. And then Paul says, yet there's one thing I know, verse 23. The Holy Spirit tells me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. So who wants to be an elder and follow that example? Afflictions, chains, imprisonment. Who wants to sign up for that? And yet Paul said, even though these are awaiting me, To lead as a servant of the Lord is to sacrifice. It means to suffer. It means that I must endure. It's not about self-preservation. It's about God-magnification. Even if 
I suffer. Verse 24 has become really in recent weeks kind of a theme verse just for me personally. I love these words of Paul, verse 24. I don't account my life of any value as precious to myself. I mean, can I say that? Can you say that? My life is not about me. It's not about what I want to do. But what is most important? Only that I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Pray that for your elders. Pray that for your leaders. Pray that God will so work in their hearts that they will say, you know what, this, this life is not about, it's not about me. It's not about self-preservation. It's not about the kind of reputation that I have and present. How can I be a faithful steward of the work that God has called me to do to testify to the gospel? That's the kind of leader that sacrifices like Christ for the people of God. Well, let's, let's keep going and look at a fourth description here. Number four, if you're jotting down notes, what is the description of a leader from Paul right here? Verses 25 to 30, fourth. He must be a diligent guard of God's flock. A diligent guard of God's flock. Now, boy, if there was ever a point that needs to be made nowadays, this is it. You have a front door, and you probably lock it. You have a car, and you probably lock the doors. Why? To protect, to guard, to keep what is dangerous out. Well, God gives shepherds, he gives elders, he gives pastors of the church to be diligent guards of God's flock. I think of what God says about false shepherds in Jeremiah 10, 21. Those shepherds are stupid, God says. Why? They've not sought the Lord, they have not prospered, and get this, all their flock is scattered. Wow. God wants Shepherds who care, protect, guard. Not just in the church, but men who serve as family shepherds in this way in the home as well. Well, how how does this happen? Well, look at verse 27. Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, all the doctrines, all the theology, all the attributes of God, all the truths of systematic theology. The man of God studies it. The man of God knows it. The man of God obeys it, and he wants to preach it. One of the greatest ways a shepherd can protect the flock is to faithfully teach, verse 27, the whole counsel of God. But not only that, look at verse 28. Paul continues, what is a diligent guard of God's flock like? Verse 28, you must pay careful attention to yourself. Well, it's good to... Go and lead people. It's good to go and show up publicly when the church is gathered, but Paul says, don't neglect yourself. Don't neglect your own soul. What you're going to preach to other people, be sure that you preach it to your own heart. 
What you're going to preach publicly to the church family, make sure that you don't unpreach it with your life privately. Paul said it to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. I, I love the way John Owen put it. And John Owen, just in his convicting, heart-piercing words, he said this, any minister can fill his pews. Any minister can fill the communion roll. Any minister can fill the mouth of the public, but what a man is on his knees in secret before God is what a man really is. What, what, what a good word for all of us. What a good lesson. Guard yourself. Pay careful attention to yourself. You pray for the flock, good. You prepare for the Bible study, good. You go to the meeting, good. But don't neglect your own soul. Not only protecting the flock, uh, protecting his own heart, but then verse 28, then he says, protect the flock. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. That's, that's, that's the heart of every pastor. I want to care for God's people. We want to care for the people of God. Because guess what? You don't belong to the elders. You belong to the chief shepherd. You belong to the good shepherd. And insofar as God raises up faithful, godly, humble, diligent, biblical, qualified men to serve the Lord, they will care for you. And they will love you. And they will protect you. And they will teach you the word of God. It's like Colossians 1. We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we might present every man complete in Christ. Well, he must be a diligent guard of God's flock. Notice with me verse 29. This is, this is a profound verse that I think we all need to see. Verse 29, I know, Paul says, that after my departure, fierce wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. So be on guard. There are those on the outside from the world that may try to creep in. We've got all kinds of YouTube videos and all kinds of authors and all kinds of podcasts teaching anything and everything in our day. Guard. That that kind of influence that is ungodly and unbiblical, guard lest it creeps into the family of God here if it is unbiblical. But not only from the outside, verse 30, look at this. I mean, as if that wasn't enough, verse 30, and from among your own selves, from your own selves, people are going to rise speaking twisted things. Guard from the Judases. Guard from the Diotrephes in 3 John who want to be first and draw people away from them. Let me just give you one more very briefly and, and then we'll wrap up here. But just a fifth description here in verses 31 to 35. What must this description of an elder be like as we learn from the example of Paul? Number five, he must be a personal discipler of believers, a personal discipler 
of believers. Now, it's all it's kind of like what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse 31. What is what does Paul say here? Therefore, Paul says, be alert Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one with tears. This is where an elder not only sets the example, he shows the example, he delegates to others, and then he sees faithful men teach others as well. For three years, Paul says, for three years I did not stop admonishing you. I did not stop admonishing, unceasing, tireless, soul-counseling from the all-sufficient word of God. And verse 32, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Isn't that great? It's all grace. I commend you to the grace of God. It's, It's not about me. It's not about a pastor. It's not about an elder. I commend you to the grace of God. The all-sufficient grace that is able to save you and sustain you and gladden your heart. It's all of grace. All of grace. And then Paul just throws in another personal application point in verse 33. By the way, I coveted no one silver or gold. And verse 35, in all things I I have showed you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Savior, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's, That's kind of a good closing word. It's better to give than to receive. It's easy to receive. True servant leadership and true biblical love gives. Our Savior modeled it. Shepherds in the local church are called to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and live that way in the church. So church family here today, I would encourage you to, to, to pray for these things. I would encourage you to, to expect these. Men are frail. Men are weak. Don't hope in human leaders. Hope in the divine, the good, the chief shepherd. Richard Baxter, again, I began with him, but let me just close with this. In one of the most impactful books in my own personal life called The Reformed Pastor, Richard Baxter said, The ministerial work must be managed purely for God and for the salvation of God's people and not for any private gain for myself. And then he said, every time we look upon the congregation, he said, let us believingly remember that all of these are the purchase of Christ's blood. And so we ought to regard the people of God with the deepest interest and the most tender affection. What a great word. All of God's people have been bought by the blood of Christ. And there ought to be true, genuine, heartfelt love that emulates the Savior as an elder models that and lives that out in the context of the local church. May the Lord be pleased to show that 
through your human shepherds here that God has put over you at Providence Presbyterian Church. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the time that you have given this afternoon around your word. We worship and we praise and we glorify the chief shepherd who laid down his life for us, purchasing us with his own blood. Lord, would you raise these men? Would you equip these men? Would you gladden these men? Would you humble these men to love and follow and pursue the Savior? And then to be godly shepherds of the flock with your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.